Only on a Sunday, a podcast about more than church. Welcome to the Only on a Sunday podcast. My name is Kristen Lowry, and I'm joined by my husband, Daniel. Hey, girl. Oh, geez. (laughs) Thanks, honey. That made it super professional. This season, we are focusing on reimagining prayer. Although, for people who know us, that really is the true us. So great. What prayer looks like in terms of Jesus's invitation to abide in him and his directive to live out our spiritual authority in bringing about the Great Commission. We have the great privilege of having Eric Hesse join us today. Hi, Eric. Hey, Kristen. Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me. Of course. Yeah. Eric was the pastor of an Evangelical Free Church of America located in southwestern Wisconsin. And after his pastorate, he moved to Berlin, Germany in 2015 and assumed a leadership role in Novo's Berlin team. The Berlin team is working to catalyze disciple-making movements among the 190-plus nations represented in the Berlin metro area. To help jumpstart DMMs, or disciple-making movements in Berlin, Eric co-founded Multiply Berlin, a multi-organizational team that trains local believers in DMM principles and practices. Eric holds a BA in History and Biblical Theological Studies from Wheaton College and a Master of Divinity from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and he is currently pursuing a PhD in Intercultural Studies from Biola University. He is married to his wife, Miriam. They've been married for 23 years. They have three boys, Ethan, who's a freshman at Wheaton, Micah is a sophomore, he's 15, and Jethro is 11, whom they adopted from Haiti about seven years ago. Eric, you are quite the individual. Well, I don't know about that, but... uh, (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) You are amazing. I'm still stuck on, Dan, your greeting to your wife. Hey, girl. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So to give you you the background, the last season, she said, no, I want to read the intro. So so every podcast episode, it starts with me reading, and I say, and my wife, Kristen, she says, hi. So the last one, I jumped in, and I was like, hi. (laughs) So every time I read, I try to like, you know, just change it up a little bit, you know? So we might not be able to talk about prayer today. <laughs> yeah, that's, you're so funny. Okay. Eric, we are so appreciative to have you. Thank you for taking your time, you know, in Berlin there in the evening. And we've gotten to know each other over the last, It's it's been a little over a year, I think, our Crazy. first conversation. Yeah. yeah. And, and it was instant friendship. I've enjoyed our times that we've talked. Always refresh and encourage whenever I have a chance to kind of chat. And today we're... On this season, we're talking about activating prayer, abiding prayer. When I was conceiving of the season, I'm like, man, people have got to hear Eric's story there in Berlin, what Jesus is doing. So it's a real, real treat. But what I'd like to start with first is we've started every episode this season with a funny prayer story. So I want to give you the floor and please, Eric, share with us a funny prayer story. So this this happened not too long ago uh, here in Berlin. Highly, I, I was so confused and thrown off by this. So we're we're out in the park. We're praying for people. We're blessing them, praying for healing if if necessary. And Berlin is a, a highly secular city. A lot of cultural atheists. And I'm with my my German friend, and we approach this guy sitting on a park bench and offer to pray for him. He looks up at the us with this quizzical look on his face, and he says, "What's prayer?" <gasps> he had no idea what no prayer was. Way. It turns out he he grew up in I don't think he grew up in Berlin. I think he was from one of the former Soviet satellite states, but had moved to Berlin as a young child. And he was so secular, he was unfamiliar with the concept of prayer. Wow. And so he, he actually said, well, I don't, maybe this is something I need. Why don't you explain what prayer is and then go sit down on the park bench next to me and then give me about five minutes and I'll let you know if I want you to pray for me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
And so he actually did that. We explained to him the concept of prayer. And then we sat down and I'm looking at my prayer partner. And we're like, is this really good? Is he actually going to come back to us and let us pray with So he left to no, go he, like. No, he's, he's, he's still there, but he's like, you know. Taking or, his alone time. Taking his alone time two or three meters away on the next park bench. And he's thinking about what we described as prayer. And oh, sure, wow. sure enough, about five minutes later, he calls us back over. And he's like, yeah, let's try this. Let's try this. Oh, prayer my prayer. goodness. <laughs> That's incredible. Oh, Honestly, yeah. I don't think I have a slot in my brain that can fathom. I can't even imagine because even people here who don't profess Jesus or whatever, they know what kind exactly. of prayer, exactly. you know. Wow. So there you go. Oh, that's this, a great story. This is my funny prayer story. That's, <laughs> that's a great awesome. story. <laughs> that is that is good. I just like that idea. Like, I don't know what I would have done if I'm just standing there waiting for the guy to decide whether I could pray for him. Like, would I go away feeling rejected if he said no? <laughs> no, like, how would that work? You know, uh, I, think, I think at that point, if he had come back and said, yeah, I'm not interested, that would have been more in line with what we're used to of people just like not wanting and rejecting prayer. So, wow. Interesting. Crazy. Yeah. It's a whole Well, to his world. credit, he thought about it. <laughs> He didn't just jump in unknowing. <laughs> he did. He was sincere. He was genuinely yeah. sincere. Yeah. Yeah. That's really sweet. Well, Eric, I uh, want to focus in today on your experiences with abiding prayer, activating prayer, how it's looked in your own life and how it's looked in Berlin. So just wanted to start off a little bit. If you could start, just kind of tell us a little bit about how'd you get to Berlin? Where'd you grow up? What's your ministry experience? How did you come to know Jesus? Just kind of a little bit of that story of of, of your life. Yeah, well, I, I came to Christ when I was uh, ten years old. My mom, my mom led me to Christ. She was uh, she had a radical transformation when she gave her life to Jesus, and her life changed so fundamentally that I noticed it as a ten year old. And I, I went up to her one day and kind of asked her why she was different, and she ended up sharing the gospel with me. Ended up coming to Christ through her, her, I think she was a two week old Christian at that point. And so my, you know, my mom is, she not only was my, my mother, she's my spiritual mother and my discipler. And she, she was a woman who prayed and she taught me to pray. And her influence on me is, I mean, I still, even though she passed away six years ago, I still, still feel it. Seven years ago, I feel, still feel her influence today. Yeah, so I, you know, I I grew up mostly in a Christian home. I still remember times, you know, in our family pre pre Christ. You know, my my father and my sister ended up coming to Christ after after me. So all of us were kind of growing in Christ together. And one of my early childhood memories regarding prayer and just being new in Christ, my mom had this idea to test God in answer to prayer and answered prayer by commemorating with this, you know, cookie jar we had in the kitchen, every time God would answer a prayer, we would put like a, a nut, like a walnut or a pecan in the cookie jar. And, and I mean, we were just, all, both of us are new in Christ. And, and I don't know where she got this idea, but she's, you know, very early on instilled in me, we, you know, we're Christians, we pray about everything. Nothing is insignificant, too insignificant to take to God in prayer. And not exagger not an exaggeration within the first couple months of doing this that cookie jar was overflowing with answered prayers and that really stands out to me as just a testimony to God's faithfulness and that he's real like that was that's I mean I still remember vivid memories of dropping those nuts into that cookie jar so I'd say you know early on I really grew in Christ quickly walked away from Christ in high school, I just didn't walk closely. It was a very lonely, isolating experience for me in high school. I didn't have many Christian friends. Changed when I ended up going to college. Being at Wheaton was a really good experience for me. Began to to make my faith my own during those college years and wasn't in any way contemplating ministry, even though I was certainly had a growing interest in the Bible and just began honestly probably reading the Bible regularly for the first time during those college years, the kind of the seminal event in college and the thing that kind of launched me into ministry was the revival that happened on campus my senior year. And just 
unbelievable. I mean, this story of the Wheaton revival in 1995 is well documented. Just an outpouring of God's spirit in a very tangible, real way was uh, very much an Isaiah 6 moment for me where I kind of saw my sinfulness in, in light of God's holiness. And God just really undid me and reoriented my all my priorities around Him and His grace. And the result of that revival experience was a commitment to God, not out of duty or obligation, but just out of gratitude. God, I'll, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do anything you want me to do. I was so, so overwhelmed and enamored with His radical grace for me through the cross that my commitment was, God, you, you've got all of me without reservation. So that's my call to ministry. Uh, moved back to my hometown, Cincinnati, Ohio, after college. And at this point, Miriam and I started dating. I knew God wanted me to serve him in ministry full-time. After that, I didn't know how or what that looked like. We started you know, serving, and I was leading the singles ministry at our church at that time. I knew I needed some more preparation and training for ministry. So we ended up moving back to Chicago for seminary, and uh, it was a wonderful experience. My call to pastoral ministry kind of happened midway through that seminary experience. And I was reading a book by Richard Baxter on shepherding the flock and just really heard God speak to me in a very personal, real way that I needed to do the same thing. He wanted me to take care of the flock. And I remember going to Miriam and saying, hey, Miriam, I think God wants me to be uh, a pastor. And she had Miriam grown up in a family in ministry. And she looked at me. She's like, that's not happening. There's no way. It's happening. <laughs> and um, she's a smart lady. <laughs> yeah. So that kind of threw me for a loop. But, you know, I, I, I didn't push her on it at that point. I just kind of began to pray for Miriam. And through the last half of my seminary experience, really saw God change her heart. And she began to affirm my desire to, to lead a congregation and to exercise the, some of the preaching gifts I had. And, and so, yeah, she was, she came, came around 180 degrees and was fully on board. And God called us after, after seminary to pastor a small rural congregation as my first cross-cultural experience, as I tell people. And Wisconsin is awesome. I mean, we, some of our most close, we have lifelong friends that we made there, but that was, that was a clearly a cross-cultural experience. I had never spent any time in a rural kind of setting, but we had a great, great run there. We served in pastoral ministry for 10 and a half years and transitioned a very traditional kind of free church into a decentralized network of house churches that were focused on making disciples and starting new churches. And that was, that was a blast doing that. Taught me a lot about prayer. It's interesting. My, my, the message I preached when I was candidating at that church has continued to shape my philosophy of ministry and specifically about prayer since. I, I preached on Luke 10, 1 through 12, which is a key missiological text that Jesus gives, a key missions text and it talks about thriving ministry being based on prayer. And so that was kind of the message that I started my pastoral ministry with. And it culminated with us kind of sending people out on a regular basis to start new things. And at, at some point, I think God said, okay, you've been sending others out. Now it's your time. And that very quickly transitioned to um, an exploration on, by Miriam and I about what it would look like for us to be sent out and so we, yeah, we started praying about that. That kind of caught us off guard because ministry was kind of clicking along very successfully in terms of seeing people come to Christ and the church growing. But again, we expressed our commitment to God saying, God, we'll, we'll go anywhere you want us to go. We'll do anything you want us to do. If you want us to stay, that's fine. Just tell us, just confirm that. And more prayed about this, the more God said he wanted us in Berlin and totally caught us off guard. We didn't know anything about Berlin. We didn't, never been there. And the, the call to, to missions kind of happened uh, early one morning. I was, was reading Psalm 139, just in my normal daily Old Testament psalm reading, and open up my Bible and, and just very 
in a very real, tangible sense, God just met me through Psalm 139. And he, by the time I finished the song, I'm in tears, I'm crying with this burning call to go to Berlin. And my wife, who hears the voice of God more quickly than I do, you know, <laughs> I, I, I left, you know, left my little prayer closet and went and, and I woke Miriam up. I'm like, Miriam, I'm reading Psalm 139. It's like five in the morning. It's Sunday morning, right before this the service. And Miriam, God's calling us to, to Berlin. I have Psalm 139. It's a powerful experience. And she rolls over in her sleep. She's like, I thought we decided that yesterday that God, <laughs> <laughs> God has called us to Berlin. Always late to the party, right? Now. <laughs> yeah. So I, I need apparently I needed to hear something more specifically from yeah. God on that. <laughs> Well, so we, we are husbands. We need it written very clear, right? Like uh, like Daniel's handwriting on the wall, right? Yeah. <laughs> like we need it. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, yeah. That, that put us on the trajectory of of thinking about Berlin, and it took us a couple of years to to actually make the transition. We all ended up in Berlin May 2015. So one of the or the kind of overarching idea of of this season is that Jesus really gives us two invitations that we see in the gospel. And the first invitation is, you know, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, right? And in your story, you share about that when you were 10 and, and at different times in your life, you've, you've felt that weariness and that, that uneasiness and that just need for grace. And so you've come to Jesus. But then there's that second invitation that follows, which is to abide in him. So here you are, 10, 11, 12, something, you're putting pecans and walnuts in a jar <laughs> because you're praying about everything. Fast forward however many years later, and you're giving a sermon, Luke chapter 10, and how important prayer is. And it's going to be a distinctive of the way God uses you for years to come. Talk to us a little bit about that growing and what it means to abide in Christ right? And kind of how that looked in your life. Like, were there any scripture passages that were especially relevant to you? Some major transition points, anything that might be helpful? Yeah. I mean, I, first of all, I love the theme of this, this season's podcast series. So kudos to the two of you for leading people to this discussion and this topic. Yeah. Obviously, you know, when you come to Christ, you're, you're a baby, you 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 don't know or practice uh, everything you do when you're more mature. But I, I can say that I've, I've, I've kind of always experienced God in a conversational prayer kind of way. Like it's always been, I don't know, I think my mom modeled that for me really well as a young child that God is real and we talk to him about everything. And, and it's an ongoing, everyday kind of thing. So I, I've always kind of thought of my abiding relationship with God as this ongoing conversation with God. Normally, I mean, when I was, was younger in Christ, that always happened when the Word was open. You know, so hearing God's voice and this conversational rhythms were connected to Him speaking to me through Scripture. I think it's been interesting to see this abiding change and grow and develop as I mature in Christ is now on the mission field. I'm still in the Word, obviously, but I hear God's voice more like out in the harvest. I hear Him speak more when I'm out looking to partner with Him on the streets. So yeah, but but I think everything, everything that God wants to do in and through us, whether it's in the context of the local church or on the mission field, is an overflow of this ongoing listening, talking, dialogue relationship we have with with the Father. It's yeah. In terms of scriptures, I mean, just more generically, the the Bible verse is talking about God speaking. Like, just really mean a lot to me. The fact that God speaks the world into existence. He's He's a God who speaks, who gives us. His word, and He speaks through creation. He speaks through His word, and He's He speaks to us through the voice of the Good Shepherd. You know the prayers of the church, the the prayers in in Revelation, the churches in Revelation. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. I want to be the kind of person who has a sensitive enough spirit to God that I can. I want to be so in tune that I can hear what He's saying 
and react and be obedient to what he's telling me to do, to be really shaped by that. That's so important. Yeah, I think, you know, what you talk about really is that a lot of the come to me is is a lot of like us declaring to God what our problems are. <laughs> Could he please help me with that? Which is, you know, I, I'm not poking fun. I mean, that's that's a very real part of the Christian life in the maturation process. But, you know, as we move over into that abiding kind of relationship, it's more of like I'm stopping talking and I desire more actually to hear. You know, it's not that I it's not that I stop talking or, well, that's for baby Christians. It's just I'm more desirous of what Jesus has to say. There's definitely a, a listening component to it. I think I do more listening than announcing my my needs to God. But that's not, I mean, Jesus tells us to ask for daily bread. So those those needs are not insignificant. And I think God wants to have that kind of fatherly, meet our needs kind of relationship with us. Let me, let me push back on something. I, you mentioned this shift from come to me kind of prayers to abiding prayers. I actually feel like the more I mature in Christ, the weaker I am, the more I come to him in my frailty and weakness and wanting God to carry my my burdens, I'm more aware of how insufficient I am for the task, how utterly powerless I am to accomplish anything. And yeah, there's definitely a more more of a listening component in the prayer, but it's also uh, coming to God in, in complete weakness. Like, if this is His ministry. This is His work. I can't do jack crap without Him showing up and I think, there's, I think there's a real power that comes in ministry by waiting on God in prayer. Mm. I think I think we rush ahead and we try to do things our own strength. And God's just sitting back there. He's like, man, if you'd only waited for me, prayed and waited, you would see the power of God show up. That's what I want. Like, that's what I want to see happen. Yeah. No, that's a good word. We were prayed over a number of years ago. Kristen, if you remember this not by might, but by my power, you know, by my spirit, says the Lord. And, and that has definitely been a theme over the last few years of of waiting and allowing God to do those things that only God can do. Yeah. Well, and I wonder in, in your life, have you seen, you know, being in Berlin has that, I can imagine that might be amplified. Has that sense been amplified because you are in this super secular environment? It has, Kristen. You know, when you when you put yourself in a missions context where you don't know the culture, you don't know the language, you you're totally dependent upon God. Hmm. Like when I was a pastor, I could rely on my giftedness, and this is going to sound sad to say, but you can do that independent of God's power and Him sure. showing up. I can't do that. I can't. I have no. I have nothing to offer here. I have nothing. You know, I don't know the language like native German. So yeah, you're put in a position where like expecting and wanting and desiring God to make his kingdom known for the inbreaking of the kingdom. And it's like the only resource, the only thing I can do is pray. And it's coincidentally, I think it's what Berliners need. I mean, people who are so secular, who don't know what prayer is, they don't believe that God exists. They kind of forgotten that they've forgotten God. Wow. I think kind of Elijah and Baal kind of moments where God shows up and demonstrates that he's real and demonstrates his power. I think those are, whether it's, you know, through healing or whatever, I think those are key things. I long to see that. I long to see, you know, those kinds of real tangible fruits of prayer in in the context of my day-to-day ministry. Yeah, that's cool. Well, let's, let's transition a little bit. I think it's John 15, where Jesus says, you know, come abide in me. And then he talks about, and you will bear much fruit. And so uh, this season isn't just about that move and invitation from come to me or that growing maybe from come to me to abiding, but it's also how the abiding, we find our spiritual authority. We find out who God has made us to be and, and how he is with us and, and commissioned us into the world. And we begin to 
really grow in and walk in that kind of activating prayer, that listening for for Jesus and, and where he's directing us and the declarative prayer and blessing prayer and spiritual warfare, bringing the kingdom. So you find yourself going to Berlin, or you find yourself in Berlin circa 2015, and you say, I'm going to win this city for Jesus. We're going to bring the kingdom, right? And you decide to pray. Like, that's that's where we need to start. And the way that you and I first met was you wrote an article called The Berlin Prayer Experiment. And at that time in, in the church I was pastoring, I was doing a series on prayer. And so I read your article and it was just fascinating. And I contacted you. Hey, man, I, I'd love to chat. We're doing the similar stuff here. Could I just pick your brain? And so we we talked, and and it was just one of the most fascinating modern day examples of prayer that I've read in a long time. I mean, there's a lot of historical stuff. Well, back in 1787, you know, three people got together and prayed, and a million got saved. Yeah, that's that's you know that that's great. But what about today? What's God doing today? So, would you share with us a little bit about what we call the Berlin Prayer Experiment? <laughs> Yeah. How did that work and what is the fruit and how how might we partake in that? Hmm. Yeah, so let me just frame the Berlin Prayer Experiment by sharing what we were doing leading up to it. You know, we were trying to live out Luke 10, you know, basing the our ministry, which is a pioneering ministry, wanting to, to go from zero to reproducing disciples and reproducing churches by finding people of peace, which that principle comes from Luke 10. And the way you find those people of peace is by listening to the Holy Spirit, by, you know, praying and asking the Lord of the harvest for more workers. And that prayer, the way that prayer is answered is those workers come from the harvest and are then deployed back into the harvest. So these these people of peace are people that are, you find and they're discerned through prayer. They, they're people that are, they, they welcome the message of the kingdom and they welcome the messenger. And through them, you unlock new pockets of people for the gospel. So some biblical examples of this would be like the woman at the well in John 4 or the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. These people of peace who then, once they meet Christ, they, and their life is transformed, they then share the gospel through their relational network. Mm. So we had been out on the streets praying, like I mentioned the story, praying for that guy on the park bench, praying for people, blessing people in prayer. And our organization kind of thought that I might want to join in this strategic prayer team that had been put together for the purpose of focusing on this activating strategic kinds of prayer that would allow us as kingdom workers to take new ground for the gospel. So I was like, yeah, this is a perfect fit. I, I can't wait to do this. And so what ended up happening is I ended up having a, a small team of people with me, and we decided that Berlin would be the focus for our, our times of listening. And the, the premise behind this prayer experiment was that in terms of breakthrough, we wanted to see breakthrough that breakthrough to see people come to Christ and for disciples to form and start new churches is not dependent upon our ingenuity, our strategy, but God already has a strategy. He already, yeah. know, he already knows what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And so this, this group committed to a season of 90 days that involve a 90-day prayer for Berlin multiple hours per week individually then time together where I had to first get them up to speed on the cultural context of Berlin and what Berlin was like. They hadn't been to Berlin. So once I got them up to speed in terms of what our ministry was, what we were doing, what we were hoping for, how we were hoping to see movements of the gospel, then we began to actively listen to God for how that breakthrough would happen. And it was just fascinating to just involve a team of people who are listening with you to the Holy Spirit for what could be for your city, for a place that God's called you to. And over the course of 90 days, God spoke five 
things to us. Some of these things, I still don't know what they mean. Others now, you know, a year and a half post Berlin prayer experiment, it's like, wow, this is crazy. I know exactly what this means. So the five things he spoke to us were, we need to mourn for the city. We need to weep for the city. The second thing was the, that we needed to prepare for battle and care for the wounded. The third thing was that we, he wanted us to bless the city and declare blessing over the city. He said that we need to be telling stories, that telling stories in some capacity was important to seeing breakthrough. Hmm. And the last one was, was important to mobilize women for the mission of Jesus. And that mobilizing women was really hmm. key. So we finished this 90-day prayer experiment and we kind of ended with like, well, this is great. Like, but what do these things actually mean? <laughs> what is, like, there's, I mean, am I supposed to like dress in sackcloth and ashes and walk about the city and like mourn for the city? Like, what, like, what am I supposed to do with this? How am I, what does it mean to tell stories? You know, what is the practical application of this? And I, you know, the one that's been most clear and the one that's most contributed to breakthrough, at least as I can see it with the spiritual sight that I have right now, is that mobilizing women. In 2019, we had just finished the second round of the prayer experiment where we dug down a little deeper into what these five things might mean practically, but we just finished that. I took a, a young German with me to one of our training events where we trained her to make disciples and start churches. And she came back from this training just absolutely on fire. So this would have been November 2019. We had taught her during this training how to map out her relational network. We call it her oikos, her, her relational connections, and begin praying and fasting for those the, the people on that, in her network. And she picked out one guy that she really felt like God put on her heart. She shares the gospel with this, this German guy. He comes to Christ. And like this is, this is the first conversion we had seen at this point, at, you know, three and a half, four years into our ministry here. We're, wow. we're, we hadn't seen anyone come to Christ. Wow. And it was, it was through mobilizing women. This young German woman sees some of the, the first fruits of this Berlin prayer experiment. Since then, you know, in 2020, you know, COVID hits and you think ministry is going to stop. And in some cases it does, but this woman ends up leading seven other people to Christ. And they've, she's baptized, she and her new disciples have baptized, you know, eight new followers of Christ. The first one who came to Christ in 2019 was baptized in 2020. So eight new followers, eight German followers of Christ in 2020. That's so exciting. And I think, I think that's a direct result of, of this kind of activating strategic prayer. Like, and it took me a while to connect the dots that this woman and what she was doing was the fruit of those, at this point, 180 days of prayer for Berlin. Mm. But that's, I mean... God's so faithful. He did it. I, I, I mean, I didn't have any role in this. These are not my, you know, this is not my fruit. This is something that he did. And it came about through spiritual discernment and prayer and listening. And I don't know, it's far, it's, it's far cooler than I would, I could have come up with on my own, you know? Yeah. I think you're missing a, a real big point in your story about bathroom baptisms and the role of bathtubs in uh, your Berlin prayer experiment. So could you share with us a little yeah. bit about that? Because I think people That's that are listening right now are wondering, what in the heck are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, so one of the key principles that we operate under is that the things here can't be built around us, that they need to be built around local locals, Berliners, Germans, so that the work can continue if and when we're not in the city. So to that, to that end, when this German woman started to apply the training that we gave her, part of that training was, well, if someone comes to Christ in your network, you need to baptize them. And so part of, part of this was helping her to see that she had the spiritual authority in Christ to take that step of faith. And 
She didn't necessarily need the help of a pastor to do this, but that she had the authority in Christ to to baptize. And so in you know November 2019, when she leads this young German to Christ, she's texting me by WhatsApp, like, Eric, he came to Christ. What do I do now? Like, I'm texting her back, well, you need to baptize him. She's like, well, I don't know how to do that. I've never baptized anyone. So I, I walked her through the training. You know, this is all by text. You know, mm. this is what you do. And so she challenged this guy to be baptized. He didn't want to do it. And kind of the whole challenge sits all winter, you know, comes to, you know, March 2020, everybody's in lockdown. Mm. And I'm actually kind of mourning the fact that it feels like Satan's winning. Like this guy's not going to take the step of faith and he's, the seed is going to be like on the hard pack path and he's not going to mature in Christ. He's, it's, and I get this text and this, this is the middle of the, the biggest lockdown. And she's like, Eric, I baptized him. She sends me this you know, this video of, of her baptizing this young German guy. And he then gets so excited and wants to share the gospel that the two of them start going out on the street sharing and, and she trained him <laughs> to, to make an Oikos map of his relationships and begin to fast and pray for his friends. And he's like, I need to share the gospel with my friend. And so she equipped him to share the gospel. He shares the gospel with his friend this guy comes to Christ and he's like, I'm ready to be baptized. And so she's like, Eric, well, what do I do now? What do I, do I baptize this guy? And I'm like, no, you can't baptize him. You only get a lot. You're only permitted to baptize one person. Now you need to train your friend to baptize his friend. So she <laughs> did that and he baptized his friend mm -hmm. um, all, all in bathtubs. It was really cold, you know, cold at that point. And, and then she baptizes a couple more people that spring, and she's sending me these videos of, you know, one in particular of this this young German woman. I had the privilege of meeting this last September. This German woman, Berliner, grew up in Berlin, East Berlin, staunch atheist, addicted to alcohol, drugs, tried, you know, every kind of sex imaginable. She ends up coming to Christ through this German woman's testimony and sharing the gospel and then she travels to this woman's home and takes a video of her baptizing this woman. It's just like, like this is the New Testament. This is yeah. This is the mission of Jesus, and it's totally decentralized. It's totally based on the priesthood of all believers who are exercising their authority in Christ, and they're prayerfully dependent upon the Holy Spirit, and they're obeying this serious commitment to obey the words of Jesus and like, this is, this is awesome. This is so cool. It is so cool. I have, like, I have my goosebumps as you're talking. <laughs> I know it's really incredible. And I wonder if this is a good time to maybe start talking about like how the American church and maybe some of the practices that we have here that are so, I guess maybe ingrained in our church culture. But as I hear that story, I'm like, all of the friends that I know that I've shared with, they would go to our local church and they would ask a pastor to do it, right? And I feel like how powerful it is that you get to have these young people come to Christ and instantly they're empowered to share the gospel and baptize them and do it themselves because the Lord has given them the authority to do that. And yet we kind of maybe have that culture of we defer we need the expert to do it, maybe. I'm not sure. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, we do. And I, I, again, I was a, a lead pastor of a church for 10 and a half years, so I know how churches operate. And it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard for pastors to let go of the ministry and empower people to do the work of the ministry. But that's what pastors are actually called to do. I mean, the leadership gifts of Ephesians 4, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, are given as gifts to the church to equip the saints. And so it's mm. it's hard for us as pastors, as shepherds, to to do that. Like I it's not I don't I don't think we fail because we want to control things. I don't think we fail because we're trying to block the spirit, but I think God is desperately wanting his churches to and his shepherds to just let the leadership gifting of the church do what the leadership gifts are supposed to do and really spend time equipping 
the sheep to do what the sheep are supposed to do instead of doing everything for them. I think we kind of create some unhealthy dependencies of sheep upon their local pastor shepherds. It's not the fault of the church. I mean, I'm, I was guilty of this as a pastor of myself, so I understand the challenges. But I think the average person in the average church, they want to see more than anything. They want to see God at work through them. They, they want to see God do something. They want to see Him at work. And if you can imagine our hands clenched, if we could just, as leaders, just unclench our hands and let release people to be the church, then that's when thing gets, things get really exciting. But it takes a really special kind of pastor to do that, I think. You know, someone who's not intimidated or fearful that things stop revolving around them, you know? Yeah. You know, that, well, you did a, I think that was a great example in the story that you shared is you only baptized or brought that one girl to Christ and then she was able to lead someone. And then that person, she didn't lead his friend. He led his friend. So you see a beautiful example of how quickly the gospel can spread when we do let the Holy Spirit work through others instead of it all flows through like the pastor. You know, maybe you could share with us a little bit about your understanding of spiritual warfare, strategic prayer. Maybe if we use the idea of the non-kingdom forces of the world coming against you know, the spread of the kingdom. There you are in Berlin, and it is a very secular society. I'm imagining there's a ton of pushback that you're feeling spiritually and, and even physically of people pushing back against you. How have you seen prayer win out? What understandings have you come to? And then maybe what encouragements would you give for people just in their own lives in warfare prayer, whether that be for their family, their wayward child, their city, anything like that? Yeah, that's a great question, Dan. Thanks for bringing that up. Missions is spiritual warfare. So there's definitely an element of our prayers and our prayer life here in the city that is definitely focused on this spiritual combat. You know, you don't fight against flesh and blood, but you're fighting against principalities and powers. And, you know, Berlin's, Berlin's history, it's, it's a, there's a demonic past to this place with, you know, Nazi rule and all the atrocities of, of that part of Germany's history, but also, you know, the, the 40, 45, 50 years of Soviet communist rule where they tried to stamp out and totally strike any kind of religious practice from from life. I mean, that's, that's demonic. That's, I mean, Berlin was a spy state. East Berlin in particular was a spy state and all the suspicion and, you know, fear that comes along with it. So spiritual warfare in Berlin is not as overt as it is in maybe some other far cultural places compared to the U.S., you know, like China or India or places in South America. But the spiritual warfare is, is real nonetheless. Like, it's really hard to sustain momentum here. Sometimes it's hard to pray. It feels like uh, ministry feels like walking through wet cement. You know, people's resistance to the gospel is, I think, directly related to this spiritual warfare where Satan, you know, Satan's blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing who Christ is. So a lot of our prayers you know, when we're out in the parks, on the streets, connecting, trying to connect with people is also prayer walking and kind of praying for places and praying for God to send his army of angels to fight for belief in the city. And if I could quickly tell one story, it's one of the parks that I frequent in the area. You know, I wasn't seeing a whole lot of fruit in terms of connecting with people, sharing the gospel. I don't know, in, intuitively, this was, this was before the Berlin prayer experiment, Intuitively, I just I just felt like God was saying to me, Eric, I want you to to walk around the park and kind of in the same way that Joshua walked around the walls of Jericho and just pray pray for this park, pray for the people who come here. And I started doing that. I started kind of walking the circumference of the park and praying and praying these very bold kind of warfare kind of prayers, like calling on God to to fight for faith, fight for belief. 
And then we would go into the parks and share the gospel. And I'd been keeping some statistics about these encounters before and after this this kind of prayer walk. This is, this is fascinating. So prior to doing this kind of Jericho kind of prayers, we were praying for about four out of 10 people that we encountered and sharing the gospel with about one out of every 10 people. After we started praying this pray, praying the circumference of the park, we were praying for eight out of 10 people that we encountered and sharing the gospel with four out of 10. Mm. So there is a there is a discernible shift in the spiritual climate of that physical place yeah. as we committed that space to God in prayer. I mean that's that was it was really eye opening for me to see that you know and since then we we've kind of continued to to pray strategically for neighborhoods and for places, realizing that in a place like Berlin we might be praying down streets and for buildings, you know, apartment buildings and for people that have never been prayed for. Like they might live their entire life and never have anyone pray for them. Like that's what a, what a privilege that is to be able to do that. So yeah. yeah, in terms of, in terms of, you know, advice or counsel or tips for churches, I just, I would, I would encourage the people listening to this podcast to realize that the mission of God is not just for those on the mission field. It's also for, you know, those back in the States for their, for their own neighborhoods. And that there's, there's probably an, if, if there have eyes and ears to hear, there's probably an invitation to begin praying for their neighborhoods, for God to work in the same kind of way. Yeah. yeah that was really going to be my next, you know, ask of you is, one of the key audiences that we're trying to have conversations with through this podcast is just your local everyday believer who's feeling this stirring in their heart, what I call like a holy discontent with kind of the way things are. And they really have this sense that God is is inviting them into more. I don't necessarily mean that they're going to be missionaries or pastor local churches. I mean, just in their normal everyday life, God is inviting them mm. more. What would be your encouragement, your blessing to them as they take these beginning steps towards the more that God has for them? Yeah, I think I would, I would encourage that person who's hearing you know, this interview to spend some time listening. God's always speaking. He wants to speak. He longs to commune with us and dialogue with us. And I encourage them to examine the busyness of their lives because I think we're so busy and so distracted, you know, with this modern technological society that we, we really find it hard to, to hear the voice, the still, small, quiet voice of God. Mm-hmm. Encourage them to, you know, carve out a few minutes of time, no interruptions, no distractions, cell phones off, no podcasts, no, 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 you know, shut, shut the YouTube off, all these inputs that we have and just sit before God and ask him to speak, see what he says. And here's the, here's the other thing. When he says something, it's probably going to be unreasonable and require faith, but the challenge is to do it. Mm. That, and that is, that is the launch point for the most exciting walk with Christ that you can ever imagine. Mm. It's, what Jesus, it's just what Jesus did in, in Luke 5 in the miraculous catch of fish. Jesus sees the disciples on the shores. They're mending their nets. And... You know, Jesus walks up to them and says, hey, guys, I want you to get in the boat, head out to deep water, and put your nets down. And the disciples are like, what? We've been fishing all night. You want us to go out in the daytime and fish for fish when all the fish are in the shallows, feeding in the shallows. You want us to do the unthinkable? Like, this doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And they, they hear the words of Jesus, and they obey and they put the nets down in deep water at a time when the fish aren't supposed to be there. And there's a miraculous catch of fish. And I just want to say to whoever's listening, that if you listen for the voice of Jesus, 
He'll probably tell you something that's unreasonable, doesn't make sense. It's going to sound stupid. But if you listen to what Jesus says, you'll see a miraculous catch of something, a fish. Of, you'll, see, <laughs> you'll see God show up and do what you didn't think was possible. Mm. Mm. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I received that. Eric, if people want to know how to get in contact with you, maybe support what you're doing in Berlin, they kind of feel moved and listening to support you guys financially, prayerfully. How might they go about finding, you know, kind of where you are or different platforms that you may have? Yeah, our, our family has a, a little website that kind of shares about what we're doing. You can find contact information more about what we're doing at mehesi.novostaff.org mehesi at novostaff.org. That should get you in contact with us. Okay, wonderful. And there is a little giving link there, I believe, at the bottom of the pages that would take them to a portal on Novo if you feel so led to support what's going on in Berlin. Thank you, Eric. It's always a pleasure, man, to hear the stories. I I just got to ask one question before we go. This is totally not spiritual. Is that okay? By all means, go ahead. Yeah. I'm having a tough time wrapping my mind around the fact, how big are bathtubs in Berlin exactly? I'm, I'm sitting here thinking of the bathtubs in my house, and I'm like, I would be hard-pressed to baptize an adult in one of the, So, like, what kind of bathtubs do you guys have there? Yeah, I think they're the same size as the ones we have in the States. So. <laughs> how do you do that? Yeah, can you come give us a training here in LA? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you use what you have. So, that's right. Yep. <laughs> if, if we didn't have bathtubs, we probably would be just using showers instead. So. Right. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Sorry. I told you it was totally unspiritual. Thank you so much, Eric. Certainly appreciate your time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Only on a Sunday. Next time, we have the opportunity to interview Sereka and Krishani Hulugal, who are the co-leaders of Foursquare Great Britain. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast and feel free to check out what we're doing on the LowrysOnMission.org or on Facebook at the Lowry's on Mission. Thanks again for joining us, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.